In this month's Business Leaders podcast, Alan Hooks is joined by Mike Callahan, CEO of Snappy Shopper, an e-commerce app for convenience stores. In this episode, Mike discusses saving the UK's high streets, the importance of transparency, and ambitions to become the tech unicorn. Mike, many thanks for joining us today on the Business Leaders Podcast. I'm really grateful for you joining us, and I know many of our listeners will be keen to hear from you. Great. Good morning. Happy to be here. We'll talk a little bit about Snappy Shopper throughout this conversation. Really keen to understand a little bit about what it is and how you've come to develop the business over the last couple of years in a pretty short space of time, it must be said. And I want to talk to you a little bit about your culture and values in the organization too, but before we get on to that, I'd be keen to hear from you, Mike, about you and a little bit about your background. I guess the business itself could be seen as some of a challenge to existing status quo and particularly sort of the Q commerce market. In terms of your background, have you always seen yourself as a disruptor by nature? Yeah, I mean, I guess from my point of view, it's less about being a disruptor. I think it's more a passion for technology. And that began at a really young age. I was fortunate enough that my mum and dad bought a PC fairly early on and put it in our house. And I used to spend countless hours on the internet. No one could phone our house or get through on the phone line because I was hogging it and surfing the web. And just really was captivated by the concept that with the internet, I could create websites, create web pages, publish them online, and they were immediately accessible by anyone anywhere in the world. And that's really where the journey began. And obviously, I've gone deeper into technology. And with that, understanding of how technology can be used uh, presents opportunities. And I guess that's where Snappy Shopper was born. And you were a programmer, you were a coder by background. Mike, is that where it all began for you? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been more of a visual person. So I really enjoy design and creativity, but realized very quickly that um, the bit that the customer sees on a website or in an app is only part of it. You've then got the back end, you've got the coding and the computer science. So I was fortunate enough to get a place at St. Andrews University and did a degree there in computer science and really forced myself to learn the technical elements and the technical disciplines, which basically gave me a more rounded ability to not only design the look and feel of technology, but also be able to be a developer, an engineer, a programmer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And this isn't your first e-commerce business, is it? You've developed a couple of businesses before now. Just tell us a little bit about those. Yeah. So founding the first company, you know, no money in the bank, lots of big ambitions. Started a business called MTC in Dundee, which has grown to become probably the largest e-commerce consultancy in Scotland. We've got over 100 employees. and I'm very proud of that company. And really where it began was building technology for other businesses, helping them get online with their first website or their first e-commerce platform to sell online. We started off working with small local Dundee businesses. We ended up working with businesses in Edinburgh and Glasgow and then across the whole of the UK. And we're very fortunate to work with clients like Brewdog, Peter Vardy, Umbro, Scottish Water, helping them build e-commerce platforms. So that's really where it began. But always the ambition was to build a product or a technology of scale that we were in control of ourselves. So not just building technology that would make other people money, but building technology that would make us money. And really that began with a business called Hunger, which is part of the Snappy Group today, which is all about helping hospitality businesses take orders online. We're all used to ordering our food online and getting a home delivery. So we started there. We then moved into convenience stores, which is the grocery side, which is known as Snappy Shopper. And I also built a business that I co-founded with 
Peter Vardy called Silver Bullet Automotive, which was all about selling cars online, which we managed to get a successful trade sale exit on during the pandemic. And Mike, just to focus on Snappy Shopper, what I really love about this business is it just seems to go against the grain at focusing on communities and local convenience stores, as opposed to huge supermarkets and local delivery services that they might offer. It really does have a number of strands to it as an organization. What was the inspiration behind you creating that business? Yeah, so this goes right to the very heart of the purpose of Snappy Shopper and what we're all about, because I went on that journey from the early 2000s through to today, where online shopping went from customers saying things like, I'm definitely not going to put my car details into a computer because someone might steal them, all the way through to today where people just shop online second nature. And I was really a driving force, certainly helping Scottish companies get online and sell online. And what I started to realize was that what we were really doing was not just driving more and more revenue online, but there was a cost to that. Those customers were coming from somewhere. And really what we were seeing alongside that was the demise of the high street. So we were losing high streets, we were losing shops, more and more empty shops appearing because customers were shopping online. They weren't going in the physical bricks and mortar stores anymore. So I felt really strongly that that wasn't a direction that I believed in. I think there's real value in shops and particularly in local high streets. I think we've seen the major high streets and city centres suffer. We've seen shopping centres close down. And I think really, if we're not careful, the next wave of closures will be your local shops, you know, your local convenience store, which we all relied on so heavily in the pandemic, your local butcher, baker, as we all just shop in major supermarkets. And I think there's a real risk that if we continue on this path in years to come, there might only be one shop and it'll be called Amazon. (laughs) And for us, it's all about making sure that we help do our bit to enable local shops, family-owned mom-and-pop shops to compete in the modern-day age by getting them online. And I guess this is the thing, Mike, isn't it? There must be tens, if not hundreds of thousands, of independent convenience store retailers up and down the United Kingdom. So I guess the scale opportunity is huge. What is in it for the retailer? Great question. So put some numbers on it. So you're right, it's a massive market. There's about 50,000 convenience stores in the UK. Over 70% of them are independent, which means that they're typically family run, family owned. And although they've maybe got a well-known brand above the door, perhaps it's a spa Mm. shop, it's still independently owned as almost a franchise. Now, for us, what we are seeing in the UK is a big shift towards shopping groceries online. Now, that trend was growing before the pandemic and clearly was accelerated by the pandemic. And I think there's now very, very clear data and evidence that a lot of that is here to stay. So people who have got used to buying their groceries online are continuing to do that. Now, what that basically means is that as a trend, if you walk into a supermarket and you walk up and down the aisles, you're more than likely going to pick up items that were not on your shopping list originally because your eyes see them on the shelf and you think, I quite fancy that. You pop it in the trolley and you purchase some extra items as part of that shopping trip. Now, if you shop online, you're less likely to do that because if you've got a shopping list, You will search for those items. You will navigate the category and subcategory structure. And once you've got that final item in your basket, you will check out and pay. And only once you get home, you might realize that you didn't pick up those extra items that typically you do. Now, you're not going to go back to the supermarket. You're unlikely to say, you know, I've missed four or five items. I'll go back to the supermarket. And that creates opportunity for convenience stores because you're more likely to go to your local spa, your local co-op to do that top-up shop. 
Mm. That's one of the key reasons that we're seeing convenience stores growing. It's a premium price channel, more expensive than the supermarket, but convenience is growing in the UK. And alongside that, online is growing in the UK. So Snappy Shoppers in that sweet spot of both online and convenience. And what we're saying to convenience store owners is there's real demand now for home delivery. We've seen that in the pandemic where we could add double digit percentage growth to a convenience store sales. In some cases, we could add 100% growth. So in other words, we could double the sales of a convenience store simply by saying to the local community, your local convenience store now offers delivery and we will deliver to you in 30 to 60 minutes. So if you run out of bread or you run out of milk and you don't want to get out of the house or maybe you can't get out of the house, maybe you are shielding from COVID, maybe you've got young children, maybe you're elderly or disabled, that ability for the convenience store to bring those top-up items to your door is something that's really valued by our end customers mm-hmm. and something that convenience store owners who really believe that they are a part of their community and the community they serve really want to do it. So we really give them that technology to help them fulfill that need. And that's exactly the genesis behind Snappy Shopper, isn't it, Mike? I love the story about you popping out to pick up bits and bobs on the way home from work or whatever it is, just to top up the fridge or whatever it might be. Tell us a little bit about that story. Snappy Shopper wasn't actually my idea. I was approached with the idea. And at that time, you know, I was in the office a lot, 12 hours a day, not uncommon, wife and young children at home. And these are the days when, you know, I used to have a suit on every day, shirt and tie in the office and literally I'd get to the end of the working day I'd want to just jump in the car drive home get a shower get my suit off and relax and a lot of times I'd look at my mobile phone and have a text from my wife saying on the way home can you please pick up some bread some milk you know some nappies some Weetabix whatever it was that we were needing at home and I used to dread it you know I'd have to go and drive to the co-op or the local spa pick up those items and then drive home and so when somebody approached me and said Mike I see that you've got these apps in your hunger business that's used in the local pizzeria the local Chinese a local Indian restaurant, could it be used in a convenience store? It just really resonated with me because I thought, well, what I would do is I would literally just order those items and hopefully by the time I got home, they would be there and I'd be quite happy to pay for that service. So that was really the litmus test for me often in business is to say, well, would I use it? You know, Would I benefit from a product like this? And if the answer is yes, the hope is that perhaps there are other customers out there with a similar need. And the key thing about it is it's the same price for the customer as if the item was on the shelf. That's right, isn't it? So you've got the benefit for the retailer, but you've also got the benefit, importantly, for the customer. How does that work, Mike? Talk us through that. And how does Snappy Shopper benefit from that? One of the things, again, that I feel really passionate about is technology should be there to benefit business. It shouldn't be there to penalize or be used in a way that allows other big technology companies to extract value. And I think that's become a big issue with how this is done. So if you look at how hot food is delivered here in the UK and the major players that we've got that have all raised huge amounts of money that are worth billions of pounds, what they do is they leverage what's called the gig economy, where basically they don't employ people. They want people to do the deliveries. And and in fact, we've got a situation where the people who are doing the deliveries are paid the least amount of money. So I don't think that's right because the doorstep experience with the customer in my mind, is really, really important. It's got to be a good experience. And the way that they fund that is by inflating prices. So if you walk into a hot food, you know, you buy a pizza, you buy a McDonald's, you buy whatever it is, you will be paying an inflated price versus in-store. And again, I think that penalizing of the end customer by charging more that doesn't go to the merchant. So in other words, if you're paying 20, 30% more, none of that money is going to the business that's actually serving you. It's all going to the app 
provider at the same time as taking a heavy commission out of their margin. So you're penalizing them by taking margin, you're penalizing the customer by charging more. So we had a different view on that, which was all about transparency. So let's charge as a starting point the same price as you would pay in-store on the shelf price. What we will also do is charge a delivery fee, which is transparent, and that delivery fee will go to pay the retailer so that they can fund a driver. They can employ a driver as part of their store and have a delivery vehicle. And we'll also charge a service fee, which will be Snappy Shoppers revenue line. So if you go on our app, you'll see on the shelf prices, you'll see a delivery charge and you'll see a service fee. All of the money goes to the retailer for the cost of the goods and the delivery fee. We take a very small percentage, one or 2% from the retailer versus 10, 15, 20% is the status quo with our competitors. And we don't inflate the retail price to the customer. So these are things that we feel very, very passionate about. And we're proving that that model can still be profitable for the retailer. Snappy shopper can still make money. And we've got happy customers. And Mike, does the current cost of living pressures on communities throughout the UK and other locations, does that put pressure on your convenience stores and Snappy Shopper? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think for us, it's actually a tailwind that's helping us grow faster because all of a sudden customers are saying, I just can't afford to pay that extra premium that I'm being charged on one of the other big apps. And retailers are saying, I can't afford to give away a big slice of my margin. So they're looking for other ways to solve the problem. And we are right in that sweet spot. The great news for us is we are hearing messages back from our retailers saying things like, thank goodness I've got Snappy Shopper because 80% of the customers that I serve are now incremental. There are people that would not have come in the shop. And they tell us great stories about driving past a major supermarket to do a delivery and saying, you know, there's no way that customer would have come into the shop. Why would they? There's a supermarket closer to them. So I think these are all things that go to the heart of our purpose. We're helping these businesses stay relevant in the modern age. Customers want home delivery. They want to order on an app and have the convenience of not leaving their house to get that service. And I think for us, the cost of living crisis, it really plays into our hands because the -the on-the-shelf price is maintained. The retailer is able to make money. And again, if retailers are making money and we're making money, then we see that as a virtuous cycle. The service then improves. The retailer extends their delivery hours. They have a better range of products available. And overall, service standards go up. Sounds like a pretty sound business case. I want to talk to you a little bit about financing in a second. and But before that, just want to talk a little bit about just the next opportunity, I guess, for Snappy Shopper. You've got hundreds of thousands of users now seeing the benefits in communities for shoppers and for retailers, as we've spoken about. Where does it go next from here in terms of moving this into a real scaling up opportunity for you? Thankfully, I mean, well on our way. We've got fantastic coverage in Scotland. A lot of the major cities and towns have great coverage from local convenience stores providing that service. Equally, we've got fantastic coverage down in Wales. Due to the sheer size of England, we are now focusing there. We've got certain regions doing very well, and we're now lighting up other regions as we go forward. So that's our major opportunity is to recreate the density of coverage we have in Scotland and Wales across England. And that's our priority for this year. I think alongside that, our grand ambitions are what we call the digital high street, because what's happening in Scotland, where we've got a mature market on Snappy Shopper now, is we're seeing forward thinking convenience store retailers who think of themselves as like many CEOs of their own little business. Mm -hmm. They are now doing deals with the local butcher next door or the local baker. And they're saying, actually, 
Maybe on a Saturday, I'm going to list fresh rolls or cakes or pies or fresh meat and produce within Snappy Shopper. And actually, it will be fulfilled through the delivery driver that's employed by the convenience store, but the goods will come from the bakery or the butcher next door. And again, we think that that's confirmation of the role that our business can play in preserving local high streets and helping them compete in the e-commerce space by serving their community with a fast delivery service fulfilled by local shops. So ultimately, what we're saying is if we can win in the convenience channel, it gives us the opportunity to branch out into other verticals. And we're already on that journey here in Scotland. That's brilliant, Mike. Really great to hear. And as we said earlier, the business has gone from strength to strength in a pretty short period of time. Wealth Insights is a podcast series where Julius Bear experts discuss topics from a wealth management perspective. Whether it's starting a business, preparing for retirement, or transferring wealth to the next generation, our experts provide answers to the relevant questions. Available now on all good platforms. Search for Wealth Insights on your favourite podcast player. just want to reference your fundraise almost a couple of years ago now, I guess. What was that like for you? Interested to hear from you, Mike, in terms of how did you approach that? And what was it that you saw investors interested in from a business perspective? And I guess from the broader purpose of the organisation, what was it that really captured their imagination? First of all, as an entrepreneur, it was a really big shift for me because everything up until that point, I had funded you know, myself, you know, it was from mm. the profits that the companies had made. And I think, you know, it's a very different mindset to be working with investors to grow quicker, but ultimately in a loss making enterprise. And so for me, I think the key things that we were very fortunate on is that we created a company that attracted a lot of interest. So that was on a couple of fronts. I think, you know, we had a lot of technology heritage. So through MTC, we'd been working and building technology that was highly successful for other well-known businesses and brands. And then I think off the back of it with Snappy Shopper, people were well aware that grocery home delivery was growing and that there was other solutions appearing. So what's known as the dark store model, where some of the best funded technology businesses, which had, had raised billions of dollars of investors' money to solve this problem in a different way, which was all about reinventing the existing infrastructure. So putting in a warehouse, stocking it with grocery items, and then delivering them directly into communities and almost like many Amazons. And really their ambition is to put the local community convenience store out of business because their belief mm. is that more and more customers are online. Walking mm. into shops is less relevant to consumers now. And actually people are willing to have their goods delivered from a warehouse. So for us, there were investors who really believed that our enablement of what already existed was not only a much more effective way of doing it with greater purpose, preserve these valuable bricks and mortar retail stores, but also a much less capital intensive way. Because really what we're saying is, why not just enable what's already there? There's already a shop. It's already employing local people. The stock is already on the shelf. And actually by the nature of a convenience store, you know, they are positioned in the heart of communities. So, you know, by design, they're there to serve the community. So for us, enablement of that infrastructure really resonated with investors. And I think it allowed us to create almost a David and Goliath story where we could win in that market with much less money. And that's really what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of the other models failing. They're disappearing. They're going out of business. Maybe the order numbers that they're seeing as a platform is starting to go backwards now. We're out of the pandemic. Whereas for Snappy, every month is our best month, you know, as we move forward. January was a record breaker. February, again, will break records in January. So for us, we know we're on to something. 
and really now it's about delivering upon the promises we made to our investors. And Mike, just to bring you back on the point you make around dark stores, which I confess is not a phrase I'd come across before as a non-retail expert myself, but you've talked before the danger and the potential threats, as you say, to communities from the approach that some of the so-called dark stores are taking. Is there an opportunity for you to collaborate and work with some of these organisations to actually bring the best out of both your skills and their skills, potentially? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think we've seen in other parts of Europe. So if you look at Spain, for example, the leading dark store operator there also has local businesses appearing on the rack. So from a customer's perspective, I think it might be a good thing. Just getting it delivered really fast is what's important to me. And I'm happy to pay an inflated retail price. I think for me, there's just a growing number of customers who would much rather pay the same price as an in-store price and get it delivered from a local shop. And I think there was certainly a fad there that the dark stores were really promoting delivery in 10 or 15 minutes. And what we've seen in our data is customers don't really value that. They don't want to pay more to get it in 10 or 15 minutes. If it arrives in 30 minutes or less than 60 minutes, you know, they're more than happy. So from our perspective, that's really what we focused on. And I think the dark store's ultimate ambition is to own these customers and take them away from local businesses. And I think there's a real risk that if you are on one platform, then really what you're doing is you're learning, much like Amazon do, they invite merchants onto their platform, sellers, as they call them, to sell product through the Amazon platform. What Amazon then do is they then start to learn what products are selling well, how much you can charge for them, and they then start to stock those products themselves. (laughs) And because they own the platform, if a customer is then searching for that product, they're much more likely to find the product that's sold by Amazon than the one that's sold by an independent seller. I see that almost like a little bit of a Venus flytrap, and that makes me nervous <laughs> to sort of think about business in that way. But I would take nothing off the table. You know, I think for us, what we know is that what comes first is what is right for end customers. And right now, our belief is that local community retailers are the answer. But we remain open-minded. It's a new and emerging market. Mike, one of the things I've come to admire about getting to know you and hearing a bit more about your story is your strategy entwines both the commercial opportunity, but equally the importance of culture of values and how that comes together in terms of developing your overall business strategy. And everything you talk about, everything in the way you answer questions or asked to comment comes back to cultures and values and communities and importance of the existence of all of those things if we're going to be successful. How much of those elements dominates your business strategy when you're sat around your board table? How much of that comes to the fore when you're having those discussions with your investors and your colleagues? Yeah, I think it's right at the top of the list. I think it's what sets us apart. Mm. It's allowed us to attract exceptional talent throughout our business, people who have the same vision and the same values as Snappy Shopper does. And they really buy into our purpose, why we're doing what we're doing. I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of companies when you really kind of look at what they're all about, they say, well, we're here to make money. We're here to make our shareholders money. And I think that is a real risk because it can lead you down avenues that certainly I'm not comfortable with. I think if you build a great company, making money is a byproduct of that. If you lead with that, you know, you can start making decisions that I think are highly questionable. We've always got to remain sensitive to that. And thankfully, we've got very supportive investors. And I think we've got an exceptional executive team who I believe we would not have been able to attract to the company if we didn't have these values and this purpose around Mm. our business. So 
I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I do think that we've always got to be aware that with investors, we have to generate a return. If we are not delivering, then the pressure's ramped up on commercialization of your technology. You know, and I think that's the driver for us is to continue to do a good job, to continue to work hard, to continue to create shareholder value. And I think that helps mitigate those risks. Yeah. And Mike, one of your comments you've made before is that society is a better place when local communities are thriving and the place is far better for it. Yeah. Is there a way you can demonstrate that in terms of what Snappy Shopper has done in terms of its work in the community in the broader localities where you're operating? A hundred percent. When I fell in love with the concept was when I went out with the delivery driver for one of our stores because I wanted to go and talk to customers who were using the app. A couple of anecdotal stories, you know, the first customer that sticks in my mind was a young lady, you know, she answered the door and I said, hey, you know, I'm Mike, one of the founders of Snappy Shopper, can I just ask, you know, why you use our app? I see you order a couple of times a week. And so she pushed the door open and said, look, yeah, absolutely. I'm recently divorced. I've got three young kids and the concept of getting them out, you know, into the car to get down to the local spa to do that shop is just really hard work. She says, whereas if I go on Snappy, I know the delivery driver now and I get that delivery in usually half an hour. It's a lifesaver. And she talked about she didn't like going out when it was dark with the young mm. children. So I think stories like that really resonated with me. There was another one, it was another mum, and she said that her son had additional needs and often would be deciding, you know, what he wanted for his lunch. And if she didn't have those items, then it would cause a meltdown. And mm. Snappy gave her the opportunity that even if it wasn't in the cupboard or in the fridge, she could just say yes. <laughs> you know, I want macaroni cheese. It's like, well, okay, yep, no problem. You know, there's no <laughs> tantrum. There's no, can we go and get to the shop? Can we go and pick those items, get home and make it? So for me, I think, you know, just little elements of where it's an app, it's quite simple. It's a piece of technology, but it's solving problems in the real world that are worth much more to our customers. Great stories, Mike. And thanks for sharing. I'm sure there's plenty more up and down the country that you could cite where it's really made a difference. And it's great for you, I guess, as a business leader to be able to see that up front, as it were. Mike, I just want to talk to you about the recognition. And it's great to see that all of your work has not gone unnoticed. And belated congratulations, if you don't mind, on your being a regional winner in Scotland in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year program last year. How did you find that? What was your experience? Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. It was great to be recognized. You know, I think there was phenomenal competition. There was a number of companies on the list that I was up against that, you know, even just to have your name listed against some of those fantastic companies and founders was a real privilege. And indeed, I actually made some connections with other businesses that I wasn't aware of. So I think it's a fantastic program. I think for founders in general, it's not why we do it. Mm. I think ultimately that recognition of the great work that goes in and the companies and enterprises that are built in Scotland and in the UK, it's a fantastic program. And I'd recommend anyone that gets nominated to invest into it. It's a great process. I think it was probably for me the only time I'd actually looked back and reflected <laughs> on how far we'd actually come. Because yeah. one thing we're also very guilty of as founders is continually pushing and looking forward. Mm. And oftentimes you don't spend enough time saying, well, wow, not that long ago was just an idea. Look how far we've come. So I'm very thankful for EY to have made me reflect on that and to feel proud about what we've achieved. 
I think it's only just the start, Mike. There's going to be lots more to come, I'm sure. And yes, thank you for taking part in it as well. It's been great and continues to be a really excellent programme, which is some great feedback on. And Mike, two other questions, actually, and I will let you go. You've mentioned before of your ambitions, Mike, to become a tech unicorn. How possible is that? It's a pretty lofty ambition. What's the approach on that? It's definitely clear, certainly in Scotland, that there's exceptional talent in my world of technology and computer science. That stems from the great education system we've got, the great universities we have. But I do think that there is something that needs to be done and why I'm doing this podcast is that we need to inspire that generation that you can achieve. You know, you can go out there and do something big. And I think if we look historically, certainly from a Scottish perspective, the innovation, some of the fantastic innovators and inventions that have come from Scottish people from a relatively small population, I think it's definitely in our DNA. But there is a gap between where does that talent ultimately go and how many exciting Scottish companies are there to retain that talent and get them working in Scottish businesses. So for me, you know, it was really illuminating on the process with Snappy Shopper that during our Series A round, I was having simultaneous conversations with investors in the UK, investors in Europe, and investors in the US. And it was clear to me that the quantum of capital available for the business we'd created, if we started to look across at the US, for example, of the types of money they would invest and the valuations that they would put on companies, it was much more ambitious. I came across on video calls in the height of the pandemic. You know, I couldn't get in front of these people physically, but even just on a video call, the belief and the passion to grow something meaningful, something of scale, uh, was really, really just embedded there. And I yeah. think there's definitely lessons to be learned in terms of what's happening in Scotland and the wider UK in that space and how we can back more of our emerging grassroots companies here in the UK to go on to achieve big ambitions. And I genuinely believe we can do it. We'll have today over £100 million a year of revenue going across our platform directly into local convenience stores. And we believe we can times that by 10. Um, and we believe we can do that in the UK before looking at international markets. So the opportunities out there, we talked about how many convenience stores there are earlier in this recording. So the opportunities there, it's about the hard work and the belief that you can achieve it. And Mike, finally, what's been that secret ingredient for you that's helped you along the way that I guess others can learn from? You've spoken about creating inspiration, making sure that people have got something to aspire to. What's been the ingredient for you that's kept you going? I was fortunate enough that e-commerce wasn't really a thing when I started in technology and it became a thing. And I think no matter how long you've been in the e-commerce industry, the people that call themselves an expert in e-commerce, for example, have probably only been doing it 10, 15, 20 years. So it's still relatively new in the grand scheme of things. And I think there's always opportunity when there's change. Um, change presents opportunity. It presents learning opportunities. And I think as long as you're moving forward and you back yourself and believe in what you're doing, I think anything's achievable. You've got to have a passion for it. You know, if it's something you feel strongly about and passionate about, even if it's a stretch, I always say to the team, you know, shoot for the stars and, you know, you'll land on the moon and you'll still be further on than perhaps you would have been if you'd sat back and really said, well, you know, is this too ambitious? I think ambition's a great thing and it's something that we should encourage people at all levels in their career to have. Mike, that's great advice and it sounds a real inspiration, I'm sure. It resonates with all of your team and all of your stakeholders that you're involved with. So listen, thank you very much, Mike, for joining us today. It's been great speaking to you. Many congratulations on the success to date and good luck with the next opportunity and we'd love to hear from you again, Mike. So hopefully we'll speak to you 
it next time. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this edition of Julius Baer's Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you for listening. And please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at juliusbear.com. 